Welcome back to another episode of Teaching with the Body and Mind. I'm here with Mike. Hello. And Tom. Hi, Julie. And Ross. Hello. And today, the topic that I have in mind comes to me from an actual listener of this podcast. We were chatting a little bit about it, and I said, well, what you know, what do you, what do you want to hear about? Um, and her particular challenge in her space or her school is working in a small space, a small classroom. I've had a chance to see the program. It's a beautiful, beautiful place, but it is petite. They serve like 30, 40 kids max in the whole place. So obviously mm-hmm. it's it's portioned to that. Um, and I thought it was a good concept to just kind of kick around a little bit. So if you don't have a lot of square footage, but you want to support big body play, how do you keep the big in mind when you have a have a small space? So I look forward to you guys sharing what you might know. I, my brain started thinking right away about, I think we all think, oh, they have to run. But even in a big classroom, running is not always optimal. I right. have pretty large classrooms mm-hmm. at my program and running can be a problem in yeah. that space too so mm-hmm. it's not like oh if they had more space they could just run mm-hmm. so i was thinking of other ways to be big and uh the first one that came to mind was height i was thinking about tom's axiom of kids right you know right. going as high as yeah, they yeah. can go um or going at different levels yeah or even yeah. just within your yeah thinking yeah. of your vertical plane mm-hmm. as a way to get more space this program has a loft but i was like oh well but if you had an art project where you had to hang something up with a ladder or, you know, could, do you right. have a level where the steps that they can get up and look out a window or, mm-hmm. but yeah, thinking about your vertical plane, uh, you have a small yeah, space. Yeah, so like, I have a do small space. So here's share? a few things that I've found over the years. And so I had the same small, or I have the same small space I've had for 17 years now. So some things took me a while to figure out. But one of the things that happened right away was we had this low, I just call it a riser. So it's like mm-hmm. a one foot high shelf put felt on the bottom so it could be slid around and just put it in the middle to separate the like block area from the art area. This morning it was actually kind of in front of the paints. This year's class doesn't paint that often so it's kind of in front of the bottles where they can mix paint because the kids are building more and more stuff and the block area becomes, you know, the table from the art area gets moved and Mm -hmm. everything so it keeps going out farther and farther. So what I like about the, the riser is that it can go, you know, years... Other years, we have a lot of kids doing art, right. and they'll work so it's like at a, the table, a, a at the easel. Wall that can shift. Yeah, so it's just like this little little boundary that can shift, and it's mm-hmm. a surface they can actually you know kneel or sit and draw, right. like use that as their, their well, it's table. It's also making me think about jumping is a way to get a lot of and uh, then physical feedback. When we first come in, um, we come in from outside, and it's snack time next, and there's a helper of the day. They choose people to help them set up snack, while the rest of us, we come in, and I say, okay, you can swing from the loft seven times and jump from the riser six times or whatever and make up numbers each time and they just kind of do it and so we have a loft and they can just kind of reach their hands on it and so they kind of swing back and forth so their feet are like inches from the ground Mm -hmm. they're like you know just kind of swinging so they're not allowed to climb up the side of the loft but they are allowed to hold on and swing yeah and then the riser they jump from the riser so it's a way of including in a very small space a little bit of movement Another one, we have a ladder that, it's kind of like a step ladder, but it goes like three steps high. So it goes, mm-hmm. you know, you're pretty high up. You're four feet off the ground, maybe, Okay. Um, when, when you're up on the top step. And it's one of those ones where it has the, like a tray comes down, like if you're working like on something. Like a painter's ladder. painter's ladder. So the base is, you know, like two feet wide, two feet by two feet, even though you're up high. So it's really pretty safe. So you have a mm-hmm. teacher right there and have the kid walk up there and hang up. We have a clothesline, mm-hmm. so if their clothes get wet, they can hang up the clothes on the mm on the clothesline or wet art projects that can hang those up. So that actually worked really well. And that was one that just sort of, you know, I used to bring out the ladder and do things myself. And it was like, wait, this ladder 
It's safe like, enough. It's safe enough that the kids can use it. It doesn't stay out, obviously, because it does require a teacher to be right there. What I find with the loft is really encouraging kids to play on both levels, because what often happens is kids, to use Tom's language, transport items. Mm -hmm. So there'd be kids playing downstairs and upstairs, and they kind of figure out ways to, you know, sometimes we have ramps that go from the upstairs to the downstairs, or they'll be passing things. And the one we have has, the stairs have these, like, this wood to keep, you know, things from falling through the stairs and onto people. But there's just these little cracks where the kids will pass toys down. And so they play together but when you think about the amount of like reaching and often they have to go back up on top of the loft and then go down or throwing paper airplanes from there anything mm-hmm. where they keep going up and down the stairs those are things that i've found over the years like consistently work well yeah so i'm thinking about my very first yeah. classroom it was it, it was as small if not smaller than your classroom and so there was really room with no windows uh no this had windows this had windows but i built a loft right and on one side of the loft i built stairs but the stairs were basic it was two stairs and they were basically next to a table that was for writing but the kids would jump off of that Mm -hmm. so what i really started to do was we had a we had a large muscle room and i would i would run them until they were tired or we would go on the longest walks of anybody. We would take a mile walk one way and a mile walk back way with three, three and five-year-olds. And that seemed to satisfy a lot of the large muscle. Now, when I got to another space, which was a little bigger, I actually set out a, a mat that was six by eight, and that defined the large muscle area. Right. And you, um, we have, I think it's our first episode you talk a little bit about setting that one up. Setting that one up because you, we could use uh, the aluminum climber. Right. And I remember, I think I said it in the first episodes, balloons hanging from the ceiling and the kids were hitting the balloons. You can do some things in a small area. But it was so important to me. And I'm thinking about that classroom. That was a birth to five classroom. So I had babies. Right. To all five, together? All together in one small classroom. Huh. And those were the days. <laughs> it, it, well, it, family child care still has those. Yeah. yeah, true yeah, things. yeah. And they have small spaces in general. And I was still able to keep that one area. You know, one of the th- some of the things I didn't have, we didn't do much bot play in, in, in that setting. Right. Because there was just a lot of movement. And I let the babies come out. Yeah. I had to have an infant kind of corner. But if the infants were awake, they could. They were supposed to be part of the classroom. Right. And I had a loft there too. I always had a loft. So, mm-hmm. yeah. as we're talking, I'm thinking of a lot of this conversation is about play and doing, but also it sounds like having real work and ways to right. get to use your body in big, you know, vigorous ways. So climbing ladders, you know, pushing furniture around to make things functional, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of. You know, even some of the children I I have now and or that I've had in the past where we could go run in the hallway and they probably aren't going to burn out. Like, they will keep going. <laughs> right. But getting heavy crates full of blocks Whatever, or, yeah. you know, gallon milk jugs filled with sand that we got to transport and move around, that, that it's part of the play, but it's that the actual process of doing it is mm-hmm. what's engaging, mm-hmm. you know. Well, so in that's the weird way I'm thinking, because <clears throat> I started thinking about 
like dimensions uh, or, or planes, but like weight That's is one. Was, like I mean, I think games is like huge jumping, thing. you feel your own weight right, carrying yep. something heavy. Yep. Uh, well, in pillow fights, like if uh-huh. you use bigger pillows, more like the whatever two foot by two foot sort of like a bed pillow or a yeah. big a big floor yeah. pillow or something like, like that. Like those, a four year old using one of those Couch cushions, it, it mm-hmm. really tires them out as opposed yeah. to throwing a right you know smaller pillow yeah. or throwing just like rolled up socks mm-hmm. or something which. Sure can be fun it doesn't do as much with, with that input of, yeah part. yeah i mean because i'm also thinking about myself if i were in a small space for this is a full i think of a full day program mm-hmm. and what i'll call like the sensory overload something another layer to think about is also spaces where you can physically feel away yeah. from everybody else and sometimes That's i think dividing important. a space into a smaller even, even though it's a small space, even smaller units. So like, you know, the box, the big cardboard box fort that they can right. take turns going in mm-hmm. to be alone or... Mm-hmm. Um, the laundry basket. The laundry basket. <laughs> Often is well, right now I have a bad cage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have all kinds yep. of things. Yeah. I have this small book area, but it's purposely all the way on the other end. Like it's in its corner kind of by itself. There's sort of the yeah. entrance that separates it from the rest mm-hmm. of the room. And... There's a lot of pillows in there, mm-hmm. and there's these two kids right now who just make nests in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's really easy to kind of yeah. go in there and just be like totally enclosed and totally separate from everything yep. else happening. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that's definitely important to say that there are the kids who are just going to have to be away from that. In well, a and something feels bigger hard. when you make it when you divide it into smaller pieces. And I was also thinking of who, which one was it? I think it was you, uh, Tom, who had the picture of. The kids are like throwing a football back and forth in the book area. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I can't remember the like, and that's not like a huge story, but I mean, that was sort of like a, a space doesn't have to be preserved just for one purpose. Kind of a lesson yeah. that you right. were sharing when you talked about that. Do you want to yeah. say that better than I did? Oh, I still, I, I still remember that little video. The two, it was a boy and a girl and they wanted to play football, but there was nobody in the block, in the book area, which was underneath the loft. So that's the area where they played football, where they passed the ball, tackled each other. And it was, it, it worked out well, again, because nobody else was using it. Yeah. And I feel that fits into your axioms about sensory play, that kids will, if there's a hole, they'll fill it, right? You know, they're always going to pour things in. <laughs> yeah. But the same thing happens in the classroom. I think kids are generally actually really good about being respectful of other space. So if nobody's in an area, that's the place to go and play rough because... They won't interrupt anyone, mm-hmm. and sometimes we have this tendency to say, "No, you can't go there." Well, that's the or that's the quiet area. That's the I mean, quiet that's area. Right. right. You shouldn't play football in the book corner because that's the quiet right. area. Yeah. But if you in a small space, I think it's often you have to. All the kids should learn that flexibility of like, "Oh, that space is being used right now for something louder." But look under the loft; it's really quiet over there, yeah. or or whatever. And helping kids learn to do that also because. I think kids in general, I mean, of course, kids are going to play rougher, loudly next to kids who don't want it. But if they're sort of reminded of how, how mm-hmm. do you think other people are feeling right yeah. now or whatever, they they can find a spot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's our own like in, self-imposed rules that right. get in the way. Right. So I think that's where you, as the teacher who's in charge of it, have to think in that multifaceted capacity where... Well, this is the book space, but what else could it be? So you're always yeah. kind of problem solving. Maybe with the current trend of tiny houses, where this yeah. table is also our bed, and it turns out to be our ironing board, and you can also store your shoes in there. You know, yep. there's there's that mindset of 
breaking down, you know, well, this is only for art. This is only, well, can you push things aside? Can you make the space? Because this is what we need right now. Right. And to your point, Mike, about, I think children are very aware of it. And if we can trust that they can do it saying, hey, do you have enough space right now to play this game? If not, how do we either A, make more or right. B, change the game to make yeah. it work? But what's really helpful with that is when you, I'm thinking of our block area where it's been gigantic spaceships and shelters for rainstorms and um, doctor's offices and children are really great at navigating through. Right. But then you find the child who is just plowing right through and not aware of it. So now you get that insight of, ooh, actually, I've got a different question about this child. Right. What are they aware of? And so it can kind of open up that other area of kind of observation or developmental understanding. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning here, because I think we're all on the same page with that. We all view that as, oh, here's something this child still needs to develop or learn, not this child's misbehaving, but, exactly. oh, this child doesn't know how to notice what's around them, you know, mm -hmm. their proprioceptive sense or just their... You know, focus like what they're yeah. paying attention to. And doesn't mean we don't respect the work of the other children nearby, but yes, yeah. 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 Point. So I think that that space. I think, your, Joy, your points of height, and it made me think of a project that was done years ago. I think it was in the '90s. I'm forgetting the name of the project, but it was um, children observing the Space Needle in the buildings in downtown Seattle, and then trying to see how high could they build uh -huh. a structure, and they wanted to build it to the ceiling of the classroom. And so they were climbing on tables. They were stacking chairs on tables with supervision of the adults. But the the power and the excitement that mm -hmm. came from going above. And we talked about lofts and just being up yeah. high. Yeah. To be three, four, five, to all of a sudden be taller bigger than the teacher. teachers. Right. I'm taller than you. I'm yeah. But I think and you those can't, worlds. The kids can't get enough of saying that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It doesn't matter how many times they do it. It's yeah. like... And all of that said, I go back to what Tom's just want to reemphasize what Tom said is you also you go outside and you take a walk yeah. and you find a place where everyone can feel space because it is a very good feeling mm -hmm. to not feel crowded. I mean, yeah. maybe we're, we all have different levels, but, you know, to be aware that the kids get a variety of feelings of space. Right. But, but obviously you have what you have and you have to work with it. Yeah. So, well, cool. It's kind of fun just to kick around a, a, a real life problem mm -hmm. um, that many, I think, in our field face of physical constraints. Yeah. And yeah. And I think this is a great opportunity for those who are listening. If you do have questions, you know, send them to us on, yeah. on the Facebook page. And, yeah. you know, hopefully it would spark new conversations or new questions that yes. of, of the listeners yes. who are listening. Great. Well, thanks, guys. I'll talk to you next time. All right. Thank you for listening to Teaching with the Body and Bond. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Music is by Big Wheel Popcorn. <laughs>